Well, I'm sure you would join me in just allowing this group to just keep on going for a while, you know. Amen. Amen. Just very, very gifted and um, talented, but a heart for the Lord, and, and that just makes it all good. And I'm grateful, grateful, very grateful. What forgiving will do for you? What forgiving will do for you? We are living in a time in our country where tensions and emotions are at an all-time high in certain quarters. Some folks politically distressed, disturbed, concerned, worried, maybe some celebrating. But there are other folks, many of you listening today, for you, Washington may be a million miles away from where you live. But there's, there's something that has hurt you. There's something that has caused anger or the need to forgive, to rise up in your life, in your heart because of work, because of family. could be any number of situations, but my, my prayer today as we start into this, folks, and it has been all week, that we wouldn't be hearing this today about forgiving and what forgiving will do for you, as if it just deals with this isolated moment in our country's life or in your life personally, but that this would be something that 30 years from now, there would be the sense of it ringing true, that it is a, it is a word from the Lord Jesus to his people, to his church, regardless of the season politically in the life of our country. Now, some of you, that may be where you are today, and it's going to need to work in you to connect the dots. But I, I, I'm going to say this, and I, I pray you'll hear it, that this isn't about one side of the aisle or the other. That This isn't about trying to straighten out one group and leave the others alone. This is about the need for there to be a forgiving heart that is exhibited by the body of Christ, by the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how you voted in the last election. That, that which is eternal is not the vote tallies, is not who's in office or out of office from this last election. What really counts is what is truth in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So my prayer is where it needs to fit where we are, then, then slap that shoe on if it fits. But if this is about something bigger and broader and beyond the immediate, then Lord, let it be. Let, let this come back to us when we need to hear it. What forgiving will do for you. Now notice it's, it's a verbal form. It's not the noun. What, it's, not, it's not what forgiveness will do for you. Though that is true, we could work with that. But it's what forgiving. It, it, it's what a life of choosing to forgive to release, to release unto the Lord, to, to let go of unto the Lord, what a life of forgiving will do for us. It doesn't mean that the person or people who hurt you or who have offended you have all of a sudden not done things so bad in order for you to forgive them. 
To forgive does not mean to all of a sudden begin to have different conclusions about what was done to you. When the Lord forgives us, He doesn't gloss over any of the details or any of the depth. He knows it all. It all stands in real time before Him, but what He has done through that old rugged cross and the death of Jesus on the cross is that Jesus took in His body the guilt and the shame of sins that he never committed. And he paid the price through the shedding of his own blood for the forgiveness of those sins. Not the minimizing of those sins. Not the lightening up of the magnitude of the hurt of those sins. But the sins in all of their rudeness in all of their harshness, in all of their coldness, he on the cross paid the price for our sins as they were so that you and I could go free from the guilt and the shame of those sins. So when we are called upon to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us, meaning that we are to release as Jesus has released us, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're calling criminal abuse something other than criminal abuse, or that we're calling abandonment something other than abandonment. It, they are what they are, but with the Lord working in our hearts and His Spirit helping us, the Jesus who died on the cross for the sins of the world now living in us. He's giving us the ability, if we will allow him to do it, to release those sins to rele that have been committed to, against us, to release those sins so that we aren't living under the burden and the pressure of unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt us. I wanted to make that very clear because sometimes the talk of forgiving someone is associated with softening the view of what that one did to you. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what God did when he forgave us. He took it as it was in all of its gory detail. He paid the price for it so that we could be forgiven. We take what Jesus has done for the sins of the world. He died on the cross, paid the price for the sins of the world, and we are giving to him, the one who died for the sins of the world, we are giving to him, releasing to him the sins that have been committed against us. Just as we give to him the sins we've committed, here we're talking about the stuff that has been done to us and releasing it to the Savior of the world, releasing it to the one who specializes in handling sin and its consequences. Lord, may it be that you will teach us today what, what forgiving will do for us. Now, there are a couple of verses in Ephesians chapter 4 that I want you to notice with me today. If you'll open your copy of the Scripture, we're going to read down through, starting in verse 25, Ephesians chapter 4, down through the end of the chapter. Paul is writing, and this is important. Paul is writing to believers. Paul is writing to the church. Now, as we get down through some of these specific listings, it, it's almost as if he's, he would be writing to some who, who don't know the Lord. For goodness sake, you'd think Christians could act in this way. But Paul understands that in our flesh dwells no good thing. And it's only by the power of the Spirit that we're being changed from from glory to glory, more and more into the likeness of Jesus. But the Lord by his spirit has a lot of work to do in us. Do I get a witness? So he, so he speaks that. He, he's speaking to real life issues in a real church. But it's important that we hear this as Paul's instruction, speaking forth for the Lord, the head of the church. He's speaking this to Christians, to Christians, to Christians. 
Therefore, he says in verse 25, therefore, laying aside falsehood, laying aside lying, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In other words, it, it, it doesn't help if believers are not walking in the light with each other. Paul or John would say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, meaning that, that we, we can't be speaking from shadows. We can't be talking in pastel colors. We, we've got to be speaking the truth with each other. And sometimes the truth isn't, isn't easy to hear. Sometimes it doesn't just evoke a bunch of joy. But he's saying, if you, you know, we're, we're members of each other. If your right hand is lying to your left hand, if your left big toe is not telling the truth to the brain about what's going on in the boot, of what use is it? Of what good is it? So even, even and John would say, even where there's sin, even when you have to walk in the light and sin is, 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 is revealed, is exposed, then the good news about that is even when that happens, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That this, this thing of Christians not talking, not speaking the truth to each other out of a concern of offending somebody or, or giving too much light, the Spirit needs to lead in that. And, and there's just, that we may not agree, we may not like what is exposed in the light, but we've got a shot at closer fellowship if we'll tell the truth to each other. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Sometimes we don't give each other enough credit to believe if they knew the truth about me, they would love me more instead of loving me less. There would be more mercy coming from them instead of less mercy if I would speak the truth. So that, that's, that's just a part of this. It seemed like we ought not, not to have to say that, but Paul felt like we needed to say it. John felt like it needed to be said. It's laying aside falsehood, speak truth each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then he makes this statement, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Continuing, let him who steals, steal no longer. In other words, evidently there was some there was some thieving going on in the church house, or ones who claimed the church house as their place. Let them, if you steal and quit it, quit stealing. You know, let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, let, let him work, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Then he says in verse twenty nine. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Not one, not one, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Be careful what you say and make sure that what you say builds people up, encourages people, lifts them up, gives them hope. Gives them a sense that they're not just that they're not just wasted time or wasted effort, but they may have grace. They may hear grace. Verse thirty, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then verse thirty-two. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Now watch this. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The word for forgiving there means to be gracious to, to pardon, to remit, to release to release, release one another, live a life of forgiving. And I want you to go with me, please, back up to verse 26, where Paul writes this, be angry 
and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Do you know Jesus got mad? And yet, if his anger had been sin, he would have been disqualified as the spotless Savior of the world. He got mad on at least a couple occasions when he went into the temple, which was supposed to be the house dedicated to his Father's name, to his Father's glory, and he looked around and he saw cheating, lying, stealing in effect because the money changers were not being fair and equitable in exchanging the money for temple offerings as the people would come in. There was a mafia of sorts running the temple money exchange program. Jesus knew it. And there are a couple occasions where he walks into the temple and he begins to roll over, scholars have said, three and 400 pound tables that the money changers had set their money on, throwing them around like they were matchsticks. Cleaned house. And he said, you will not make my father's house a den of thieves. You will not do it. He, he came forth with such, with such energy to his anger that it evidently just scared the liver out of the money changers. Meek and mild Jesus. But he grew angry. And he vented and expressed his anger over that which was wrong in the sight of his father. He felt that it was an affront to his father's name, to his father's honor. And he acted righteously. He did what was right in the sight of God. In that moment, in that expression, when he cleansed the temple. But here's the point. And it's an important point. Jesus didn't stay angry. Jesus didn't live mad. Jesus didn't live consumed with the money changers and what they were doing as their bosses from the high priest category handed the instructions down. He didn't live with the anger. He didn't let the anger cook. He didn't let the anger become embitterment such that it controlled him. We, we know that it is true, that that is true. Because Jesus evidently had the joy of the Lord as his strength. He was picking up babies and blessing babies. He was looking out across thousands of hungry people, and he said to, the, said to them, bring me that little boy's five loaves and two fish, and we're going to turn that one boy's supper into enough supper for this whole crew. It was out of the kindness of his heart. Jesus didn't come to this world because God was mad. Jesus came to this world because the Father loved the world. The world made up of people. We say this often around here, but somewhere or another, it just has a hard time sinking down these 18 inches from our head to our heart. Somehow we can feel like we are justified in staying mad. We are justified in furthering judgment, actions, and activities and pursuits. And we forget, we forget the message of that old rugged cross. Who was Jesus dying for on the old rugged cross? It wasn't just the Sunday school teachers. It wasn't just the ones in the praise band. It wasn't just the ones who could quote John 3.16. None of the above even existed when Jesus hung on that old rugged cross. He hung on that old rugged cross for sinners, unrepented, unchanged, just like you and me. Amen? And how important it is for us to be true to the old rugged cross, as the word says, as that song, as that song says. And remember the heart of Jesus for people. The heart of Jesus for people. 
remember the heart of Jesus for people. Can I say that one more time? To remember the heart of Jesus for people. It's what Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians 4 when he says, this is the instruction of the Lord. You be angry about the things that that evoke a sense of righteous rage within you. But don't let the so-called righteous rage on you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't allow it to fester. Don't allow it to cook. You say, but I'm justified. Everybody feels like they're justified in their anger. Nobody just sits around and makes up stupid reasons to be mad. We always have some justified, and that, that's why this is, this, is a, this is a broad stroke. No matter where the anger comes from, no matter what type of anger it is in its inception, don't let the sun go down on it. In other words, make the choice, make the choice to release, to forgive, to render back to the Lord the one and the things the one has done to you that have hurt you and caused anger to be the reflex action. There, there is no exception here. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry and sin not. There's, there can be reason for that. But don't let it cook. Don't let it sit. There's a different word for anger the second time through. In verse 28, 26, the first reference to anger is one word. But the second word is completely different. It is a word that means a beside yourself kind of anger. You're not even yourself in this kind of anger. That that you can't even speak the name hardly of the one you're so mad at. Because the reasons for you being mad are so vivid and so real and so close to home that it's gotcha. It's gotcha. Now, folks, here's some good. You ready for some good news in the middle of this? The good news is there are no commands in Scripture that are not attached to the promise of the grace of God to accomplish the promise in you. In other words, that would be Old Testament. That would be Old Testament. Don't do this, and you better do that, but you're on your own, basically, to do it. It's not that way in the New Testament. Where the Lord says, don't do it, there's also along with that, I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you forgive. I'll help you release. But you have to make the choice to do that. The word there for anger, this deeper kind of anger, the, it, it, it's exasperation, it, it's, a, it's an embitterment that grows out of that earlier anger, the cause for anger that just hasn't gone away. So angry that you're beside yourself. Now folks, when, when this is cooking, when this is working, it doesn't mean that you're just running around like a $2 radio just blabbing your anger all over the place. It doesn't mean that. You may not be saying much at all, but down beneath the surface, you know it's there. And the person who has offended you, the situation that has offended you, you have no mercy for. There's there's no mercy. There's no sense of appreciation for anything about the person. And there's no way that you're able to see any good that the Lord allowing that person to be in your life has accomplished for you. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And there's there's explanation as to why this sun going down, this other kind of anger can be so powerful and become so all-consuming. And it's in that next line in verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, I want you to just look at each one of those words and I want to take you through them from the original language. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 
and do not give. The word and is a connecting, a coordinating conjunction. It connects two clauses of equal value. And then somehow they are related to each other. It's not connecting two opposites. It's connecting two things that develop from the same theme. Letting the sun go down on your wrath is tied to giving the devil an opportunity. You say, but wait a minute, pastor. I gave my heart to Jesus many years ago. I, I lived my life for a while for the devil. But from the time that I have come to know Jesus as my Savior and Lord, the devil isn't anywhere near me. The devil, the, devil is, the devil has been run out of the county because now Jesus lives in my heart. Well, I we, we just appreciate that sentiment, sister, brother. But would you just please read your Bible? It's not that the devil who has been rushed out, flushed out by the coming of Christ in the heart, can all of a sudden come up and take a piece of you, take a part of your heart, but you and I, according to the word, can give him a place in our hearts. Believers, blood washed, Jesus is our savior, heaven is our home. Paul isn't writing this to pagans, he's writing it to Ephesian believers. You can give the devil, the second most powerful supernatural being in the universe, you can give him a place as a Christian in your heart. How? By refusing to let go of the anger that cooks and boils and informs your outlook. Do not give the devil, do not give, meaning you have to give it, there has to be a place within you and me that is in agree more agreement with the devil than it is in agreement with the heart of God. We give the devil a place. You say, what, what do you mean place? Well, you give the devil an opportunity is how it's translated, but that, that, is, that is not a full, and, and I'm not saying it isn't inaccurate going from the old language in, into English, but I'm just saying it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't cover all the bases. The, the word giving the devil translated an opportunity is the word, the Greek word topos. It's the word that we get the word topography from, maps, maps, specific locations on a map, Abilene, Kerrville, San Antonio, Stockdale, Catula, all right? Specific places on a map. What happens when you and I allow something to fester within us that is more in agreement with the enemy's designs and desires than the, what the Lord's heart would be, we are giving that place that location, that topos in our hearts to the devil, to the devil. That's why the places of anger and resentment can become so blooming strong in our hearts, where it's as if we can't see anything different. No other conclusions make any sense. Why? Because it is being reinforced, reinforced, reinforced by the accuser. That's another name for diabolos, translated devil. Two parts to the word, dia, through, balo, through, between, to throw between. The verb is balo, to throw. Or to, or to hurl or to cast, and the preposition is between, to throw between. It, it has become, is taken on the meaning of, of, of the accuser, the accuser, Satan, the devil, the enemy, our adversary. We can give ground, we can give ground to the second most powerful being in the universe to set up shop in our hearts to do one thing, 
to accuse. To accuse and accuse and accuse the one that you're offended at. The one who has hurt you. The, the, the one that, 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 that we could use the word embittered against, incensed against, but it cooks. And, and it's not just you stoking the fire. It's the accuser with supernatural power having the ability to blind us with his, eye, with his lies. Jesus called him the enemy, the father of lies. He can tell a lie just like it's the truth. I've often, he has a PhD in human reason. He knows how we think. He knows how to spin a falsehood such that it sounds like the truth. Now that ought to just scare the liver out of us. And it ought to take us to the place of where where we are just absolutely blind. We, we are, there, there, nobody can convince us of anything different than our conclusions regarding some person who has offended us, hurt us in some way. Where is the strength for that blindness very well could be coming from? Here's, here's the deal, folks. If the enemy can get our eyes off of the blood of Jesus, if he can get our eyes off of the old rugged cross and what the Lamb of God did on the cross for you and for me and on to something else and the sin in somebody else's life that is, that is wrong, shouldn't have been done. But oh my goodness, what did Jesus have to do for me when he rescued me? The enemy wants us to get our eyes off of what Jesus has done for us and what he went through to win us and to keep us focused on somebody else who's so sorry and so lousy and he keeps feeding the information and he gets you around other people that feel the same way and you just got this whirlpool of the same information and we just get madder and madder and madder and madder and madder. Where is it coming from? It's not coming from the one who said, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Folks, the enemy, the enemy is an expert at bait and switch. He's an expert at bait and switch. He can get us focused on the wrong here and the bad here. And we get so consumed, and we won't even hear truth. We won't even hear, and I'm speaking both sides of the aisle here, folks. Don't, don't categorize me as just one or the other. But so consumed with this is the truth that you can't admit one blooming thing for good that the one over here that's being accused has ever done. That is not truth, and that is not God. His is the spirit of truth. And when that forgiveness that he wants to bring, that is the property of our embracing the cross, mercy rises up for the one who's offended. The ability to recognize there were gifts, there were good things, even through the shadows and even through the, the, the bad places in the person's life, but God still used them somehow for good that impacted my life. You'll never, ever think that if the enemy is the one feeding you the information. It will always be, not you, not you, because that might remind <laughs> Remind us of the blood of Jesus and what we really did get forgiven of. But he'll shift it and he'll focus it on the, the, how sorry and how awful and how hopeless and how evil and how bad. Where is the blood of Jesus in that? Where is the message of the cross in that? Nowhere. And Satan is perfectly at home in a crossless, Christless message. I'm going to tell you. 
when we take this to heart. Lord, show me. Show me where there is resident within me this kind of anger, that this kind of something that just cooks. When the person's name or the situation comes up, I can't even say the name. I can't even live with the situation. Then, Lord, show me. Show me where I may have given ground to the devil. And the sad thing is, you get in that place and you can get around you a whole bunch of people who are believing the same thing. And we just keep dancing with ourselves, keep talking with ourselves. No, no, no conviction. Nobody's standing up to say, wait a minute. But what did he rescue you out of? I can tell you what he rescued me out of. If Jesus can do that for me, then he can do that for anybody, anywhere, anytime he chooses. But Satan tries to pull our eyes off of the power of God to rescue, to deliver, to change, to make new, to keep new. And that's what I believe Paul is saying. And that, that's, where, that's why this why this stronghold of unforgiveness can stay so long and get so strong. And the Lord is saying to his people, I want you to forgive them like I have forgiven you. That's that last part. You be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also forgives you. I say, well, they're not a believer. How do you know? How do you know? That, that, that is one of the most arrogant, blatantly arrogant statements. Well, he just doesn't know the Lord. How do you know? Do you know somebody that has heard him or her make that declaration, make that confession or not? The height of arrogance, the height of a high horse. Doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know Jesus. Give me a break. You say, well, the fruit ought to show them. How, how about your fruit, sir, showing you that you love Jesus every day or night that you live? Judge not, lest you be judged. I know it sounds like I'm mad, and I am in some ways. But here, here, here's, here's the cry. Here's the cry. Don't be calling something of God when the origin of it may very well have been the energy of Satan. If there is no sense of the presence of the message of the Christ, of the cross, and the forgiveness, and that God can change anybody and do whatever he wants to do with anybody for his glory, if there's the absence of that, then look out in the everything else. I say that because I'm looking at a whole bunch of folks this morning and digitally, if I had digital eyes, I know I'd be looking at a bunch of your hearts that would say, I don't have any right to condemn anybody else because of what the Savior has done in my life and where he caught me, drew me out and is bringing me unto himself. So it's a, it's, a word, it's a word to expose the deception of the enemy. Don't let the enemy come and convince you that you're completely justified in having this deep-seated, seething anger. That when you start expressing it, there's no mercy for that person. There's no sense of good that could have ever been accomplished in that, in that, one's, in that one's life. And you hadn't even thought about what your sin did. Hadn't even had a clue. Hadn't even, hadn't even come up about what God forgave you in order for you to be one. Here's the deal, folks. Here's how you'll know when that releasing of someone who has hurt you, offended you deeply. I'm not minimizing. Remember what we said in the beginning. It can be as criminal as ever as wrong as it ever would be, could be. But you are, with the help of the Spirit, saying, Lord, I know I am to forgive this person 
like you forgave me. So help me, Lord. If it's a command, then I'm believing there's a promise attached to it. And I need the help from the helper to help me let go of this. These three things. These three things will be, I'm not the complete list, but at least these three will help you understand, help you know that yes, forgiveness is working, that Satan is losing whatever ground he may have had in my heart because these things are operating when they did not operate before. First, mercy toward that one. Mercy rises, begins to rise in your heart, which means you begin to pray for them, for them, for, F-O-R, that's positive. Not God, there they are. You know right where they are. You know everything they're deserving of. Just heal their lips shut. You know, just, just strike them, strike them, strike them. That's not what we're talking about. You don't have to have any mercy to pray that way. What does God require of you, Micah 6, 8? What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do what's right and to love mercy? Love it. Love it. Mercy means when folks don't deserve it, God's goodness comes to them. Not because they've cleaned themselves up. Not because everything is fixed and straight now. But the heart of Jesus that brought him out of heaven, put him in that manger, and ended him up on that cross was a heart of mercy toward folks who hadn't said one time they were sorry for their sins. Hadn't made a, made a blink in the direction of righteousness, but just because he loved them. He left everything, emptied himself, took him on himself of a form, the form of a man, went to the cross, and died. And the, the, because of that humility and humiliation, the Father raised him up and gave him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mercy rises in your heart when forgiveness is operating. Mercy rises in your heart. Not, not, not to the world in general, because the world in general hadn't fiddled, hadn't, hadn't fiddled with you, hadn't messed with you. It's that one, that person, those people, that situation, and the ones involved in the situation. Somehow the mercy of God is rising up in your heart. That old heart that was cold that old heart that was full of judgment, that old heart that felt justified, now it seems like there's been a light that's turned on and, and, and the temperature is beginning to change. Instead of wanting to see them destroyed, I want to see the mercy of God bathe them. Like the mercy of God bathed my life. So mercy rises in your heart. Secondly, and these are not in necessarily in any order of priority. Secondly, your sin is no worse than their sin. Instead of spending time awful, 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 flunk, 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 zero, 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 zero on everything, you know that there's come to be a release in your heart. When if we're taking grades, <laughs> if we're showing report cards, my words, my actions, my thoughts, my before Jesus stuff as well as my after Jesus stuff, I have no right to judge. You say, well, I, you know, we, we judge a righteous judgment. Good luck with that. Then, then, then don't start quoting scripture and don't start blasting other ones if you're not willing to take it yourself. Then let the Spirit of God who reads every thought, knows every day and night, forgets nothing. So I said, okay, you want to play scripture? You want to play forgiveness? You want to play who's worthy of it and who's not? And then just let him go. And it won't be pleasant. And it won't be a happy time in the presence of the Lord. 
But then the Lord said, judge not lest you be judged. You judge at one moment, and the return judgment may not come immediately, but just write it down. You've gotten in the line. You've gotten in the queue. Nobody's real excited about that revelation. I didn't hear any shouts. All right? But it's all about losing sight of the cross. The cross forgives. The empty tomb is the promise that people can be changed. But if we get our eyes off of the Christ event, and that informs our judgment and our reaction toward people, then we can be lost as a goose in the proverbial snowstorm, not having a clue what's up and what's down, because we have accepted and bought into the lies of of Satan that the accusations regarding that person or that situation are greater reality than the power of the cross to rescue a life and the power of the empty tomb to change a life. Looking this way, truth is this way. Repent, that's that 180 turn. So, mercy rises in your heart. Your sin becomes as big as their sin, if not more so. And then number three, you can begin to see how God has used them in your life. You say, well, they orchestrated my my firing. They, they, They did this, they did that, they did these other things. But you know the good thing about the Spirit of the Lord working with His people, working with the Jesus sheep, is that He has a way of convincing us as time goes on, our God is able to make all things work together for good to those who love Him and to those who are called according to His purpose. There may have been some great wounds, some great seismic shifts in your life, But instead of now you looking back upon those as being total destruction, many of you can look back on those seasons and realize that was a time when God was redirecting me. God was already out in front. He hadn't abandoned me. It looked like he had because people had done X, Y, and Z. But I look back on that now and I realize I wouldn't know There was a God to climb mountains, help me climb mountains if I had never faced him. Remember the song we sang last week? I wish I I can't get the words right to any song. I lose them all. But that, you know, through it all, through it all, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to trust in him if he hadn't taken me through the things that he's allowed me to go through. So those three things, those three things, and you know, this is, it's amazing. It it, it It is stunning to me. That, that, that believers who, who, who ought to be more grateful for the forgiveness they've received than whether or not the, 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 the reprobate over here has received his judgment. And, and, and then, and then there's, not, there's no listing of anything at all that the one that they would be so offended at has done good, has done right, has helped. Now, where is that perspective coming from? It's not out of heaven. It can be just generating here, but I'm going to tell you, it can come from Satan. It can come from the deceiver. Beware of that. Beware of that. If you can't report and acknowledge any good thing that God may have done through somebody that hurt you, then there may be another level of release and forgiving that needs to happen. And if somehow what they've done and what they are doing, you feel like there's a bigger problem between them and God than what God had to go through to rescue you, blindness, narrow perspective. Folks, listen, Jesus is going to get all the glory one way or the other. (laughs) He's going to get all the glory. And he can get the glory right now 
when you begin to thank him for what he has done to rescue you, and when you begin to pray, Lord, what you did in me, I'm asking for that knucklehead, that, 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 that problem over here, I'm asking you to bless him or her with a quadruple dose of what you drenched my heart with instead of never praying for them. Never asking God for mercy. Never acknowledging one item that they may have accomplished that God used in your life to bring you to the place where you are today. Amazing grace. I remember this one. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see. Regardless of which aisle, which side of the aisle you voted for or you sit on, if you're a blood-bought child of the Lord Jesus Christ and the calling upon us is to be looking to Him and to be praying that His Spirit would fill us and His heart would animate us and His determination to love people and to rescue them and bring them through, that would be our heart. Now, the greatest of these warnings can be, it's, it's, a, it, it, it's two sides of the same coin. In, in that verse 28, or 27, where it says, do not give the devil an opportunity, that ought, to, that ought to bother us. That ought to be a concern. God, don't let me go there. Don't let me go there. But then this other statement down in verse 30 where it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of promise. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by giving yourself to all of the things that are lift, listed above and below that statement. Among those being, don't let the sun go down on your wrath and give it up. So I said, what about this, folks? What if you have given the devil an opportunity to operate in your life while at the same time grieving the Holy Spirit so he backs away from continuing to fill you with his love and his joy and his peace, and his patience, and his kindness, and his goodness, and self-control. Paul will write in another place, quench not the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. There are things that we can do that can grieve the Spirit, things that we can do to quench the Spirit, while at the same time just living with this place that Satan has in our heart. Which is more important to you? The devil giving you justification to stay offended or the need, Lord, I, I can't, I, I, I want to be able to live without the devil messing with me, but there ain't a breath I can take. There's not a step I can take without you, Spirit, giving me life. Fulfilling. So if I've got to choose, and it is a choice, please, Satan, or please, Jesus. Please the Spirit. Choice needs to stay at the place of, Lord, guide me in the tracks of righteousness. Lead me in the way that pleases you. He has a way of doing that. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it for you. He knows how to do it for me. You know, I, I gotta, I'm just going to tell you, I, I put my boots on the same way you guys put your boots on. And, I, and earlier, earlier in this last week, I was just really having a problem with being able to get past some stuff in the election situation. I can just tell you, there were a couple of names that I couldn't even speak. This is your pastor confessing. So I'm not up here trying to tell you how to do it. I'm trying to tell you what God had to deal with me before I could ever get here this morning. And he took me to Ephesians 4, this verse. He's had me there before in other settings and other situations. 
And there was this, such sense of conviction. If you can't even speak their name, if you're so mad about what's been done, then you, you got a problem bigger than just you, David. That, that, that force and that energy and all of that, that's coming from a place you don't want it to come from. And so I just began to confess. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for harboring harboring the, the emotion, harboring the conclusions. I ask you to forgive me for seeing that sin greater than my sin. All the things that I've had to go through with you, it comes out of my journal <laughs> this week because I'd begun to sense something of a loss of the closeness. I, 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 you, you, need, you need faith. You need to be able to believe the Lord. You need the joy of the Lord. And when that stuff begins to diminish, and that's all about the flow of the Spirit in your life, then what have I done to grieve you, Lord? And he'll tell you. So I went down through my list. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I, I pray your mercy. I thank you for what you are able to do in those lives and so forth and so forth. I, I got, it just got me so bad. I, I had to go find Shirley. And I had to say, Shirley, I need to ask you to forgive me for the words that I have spoken that have come from a bad place out of my heart. I ask you to forgive me for saying this and saying this and saying this and saying this. <laughs> she looked back at me and she said, I, 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 I forgive you. Two or three hours went by, and she came back and said, you know, I think you're a little, I think we're all a little better off since you got that Ephesians 4 stuff taken care of your life. We're all a little better off, including Sadie the dog. Folks, when, 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 when the enemy and deception is swirling around inside us, we just don't know how messed up we can really be. But in him is light and life. And that's what we want. Amen? Amen. Now, I, I needed to tell you that was my struggle. So some of you out there would be sitting around saying, well, I'm just, I don't know, those poor, those poor little people that are so deceived, these believers that are so deceived in this whole stuff, you know, they just, maybe God will maybe help them. You know, if, 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 if we're still judging the servants of another, then, then we're not even close to this place of release and that's where we need to be, folks. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in this house today. I thank you for the opportunity for, for the streaming message and family to be in place this morning. Lord, we are your people, and we need you. Lord, we, we, we need your instruction. We need your commands. But, Lord, we need your spirit not to be grieved, but to be filling us, to be flowing into us rivers of living water, Lord, you help, would you help us to see that, that when we are harboring these things that Paul warns against and we're giving room for the devil to operate, that that is, that is something that grieves your heart, that grieves your spirit. And we pray for freedom from that, forgiveness from that, and that you will, by the power of your spirit, take us to a new place full of light, full of freedom, full of forgiveness toward others. In the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. 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 If you're listening this morning, if you're listening this morning and there's something working in your heart that we could pray with you about, would you please let us know? Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. That's what we want to do. Our intercessors are ready to gather those prayers and continue to pray for you and with you. If you're listening today and have never received Jesus, maybe you've been very religious or maybe you've, you know, just checking things out from a distance, but this thing of, of the real Jesus and him having a place in your heart it sounds good, but it's, you'd wonder how it could ever happen. One simple prayer I would ask you just to pray. And a prayer is just you're talking back to him. Lord, if you're real, if you're real, I ask you to let me know you're real. As you sense, and he will, he'll make his presence known to you. Then you can pray, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins, Lord. I want to be yours. I want you to be alive in me, Jesus, alive in me. 
Ask Him to make Himself real to you. Pray that simple prayer. You'll know. You'll know. And let us hear from you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's close with with one more song. Lisa, thank you. And Josh, God bless you all for being a part with us today. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Walker. Amen, amen.